You're listening to the Capay Friends Community Church Podcast, recorded May 18th, 2015. A meat picnic transformation. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. I am so sorry about last week. Not I was out of town and I was unable to get last week's podcast recorded. Um, but we are back this week um, and we are in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, Sunday morning when I was preaching this message, I asked this question to the congregation. Why are you here? Why did you come to church this morning? And I know for myself, I've grown up going to church. I don't know where Monday is if I didn't go to church on Sunday. And so in some ways, church, or I shouldn't say church, but coming and gathering with people on a Sunday morning... um, has become a ritual for me. It's become something that I do on a weekly basis. And so I want us to, to keep that question on in our mind as we go through our text today. Um, why are you here? Maybe for you listening on the podcast, why are you listening to this podcast? Keep that question in your mind as we Um, dive in today. We're in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says this. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying. In a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, in this chapter, Peter, he is recounting what um, has happened in the previous chapter. 
um, he's being asked by this council of uh, circumcised Christians, meaning Jewish Christians. Um, he's on trial, essentially. Not really trial, but he's being questioned about eating with, with Gentiles, hanging out with Gentiles. And what, some of the things I want us to see in this passage, there are three rituals that are, are mentioned in this passage. The first one, right, in, in Peter's vision, he, uh, he sees the Lord laying down like this picnic blanket of, of meat for him to eat. It's like a giant meat picnic. Now, for a good Jew, there's certain animals that you would not partake in eating. And so when the Lord says, kill and eat, Peter's response is, no, I am a faithful Jew, nothing unclean has ever hit my lips. Now, he says this because not eating unclean animals is a sacrifice. It's a way that he is being set apart for God for worship. It's a way that makes him distinct. Imagine you live in a time when everybody eats the similar thing and your people don't. This would make you distinctive. And so God, he's saying, go, kill, and eat. And Peter's all, no, this is what makes me distinctive. This is what makes me holy. This is what makes me set apart for you. The second ritual we see, and I don't know if it it would be viewed as a ritual, but it's a way in which um, Peter lived his life, um, was not eating with Gentiles. And this is the very thing that he's being questioned about. And so their, their concern is that Peter is eating with non-Jews. This, this would look down, be, he would be looked down upon for doing this. Now, in his culture, he's, it's that same thing about being separated, being um, sanctified and holy. He does this as worship to God. He believes that by staying separate from these people who believe differently, who are others, that he is somehow set apart and holy yet he does it anyway so there's this ritual right the third ritual that we see in this passage is this idea of baptism when when he's preaching he remembers the words that jesus told them and the jesus's words are recorded in acts chapters uh, chapter 1 verse 5 it says for john baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the holy spirit and as Peter is preaching to these Gentiles, this, this, this occurs to him. He remembers what Jesus had said. Now, baptism is a ritual that also makes you distinctive. Um, uh, for a Jew, it was a ritual bath called a mikvah. And so what you would do after you had converted to Judaism is you would go through this ritual uh, cleansing ceremony. Now, this was intended to be a sign of devotion to God. So, in the, so we have three things going on here. We have what they ate, who they were with, and this bath, baptism, this symbolizing of being clean. Now, I want to see what happens, and I want to point out verse 17 for us. Because verse 17 is kind of the linchpin of this whole passage. It says, so if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? God gave them the same gift. 
See, the key here in this passage is the transformed life, the gift of God that has been given to the Gentiles. And what Peter understands is it's the exact same gift that they have received. Now, this is fascinating because this is all happening outside of Peter's worldview about rituals, about why he does what he does, and it seems as though these Gentiles are receiving the same spirit that he has, but they don't follow the same laws and rituals. You see, for Peter, what he comes to realize and what he's arguing with this council is that more importantly than these rituals, more importantly than not eating meat or who you hang out with or being immersed in water, the key here is the transformed life. The whole point of what God is doing, it's the transformed life. Now, in the Friends Church, the Friends Tradition, the Friends um, were started by a man by the name of George Fox, and it was this movement. And one of the things that George Fox saw, there was this problem with the established church, was that it was dead. It was void of the spirit. For example, um, in this day, if you wanted to become a priest, um, you would just go to college, you would study, and then you would become a priest like somebody becomes a doctor. Right there, there wasn't this sense of calling. There wasn't the sense of this is what God has called me to do to lead His people. It was just that a priest, yeah, I think I'll go into uh, the church business, and you take your classes and you become a priest. And so, what he found was that there are these dead rituals that the that the church was participating in. Like people were taking communion, people were being baptized, just as the church had done for years and years and years. But there was no transformation. There was no distinction from the culture. In fact, the church looked like everyone else. And the question is, is where is the Holy Spirit? So early friends, their emphasis and our emphasis today is the transformed life. This was key to early friends. It was a rebellion of the rituals that were empty symbols that in and of themselves don't bring transformation. See, transformation is the key to this whole passage, and it's not just the Gentiles who are transformed, right? Peter, he's transformed. Here's God lowering this picnic blanket of meat for him to eat, and he draws the conclusion that this somehow is linked to the Gentiles. And so Peter, his mind is transformed. His thoughts, his opinions are transformed. The Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles, They are transformed. And these circumcised Christians who are questioning Peter, they're transformed. Notice, after Peter's testimony, they come to the conclusion, who are we to stop what God is doing? See, what makes them distinctive is not the ritual they follow, but the transformation they experience because of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit that now dwells in them. See, it's not that God does not want them to be distinctive. In fact, he does. I would say even more so. But it will not be because of ritual. It will be because of God's filling, God's dwelling in them. Now, when we look up the dictionary for the word transformation, it says this. A thorough dynamic change in form or appearance. You see, 
When we walk with Christ, it will change us. It will shape us. You can't walk with Christ and be the same as you were before. When we begin to seek the Holy Spirit, it might ask us to change in form and appearance. God might ask you to change what you do, how you think, and that's okay. I once heard the story of a pastor who was leading a small group. And this small group decided that they were going to pray together all at the same time, regardless of where they were. Um, so they, I, I, they decided that the certain day and time they were all going to pray. And this lady stands up and she says, I don't want to pray because I'm afraid of what the Lord might ask me to do. And I love that honesty, right? I, lo- I love that because... Because isn't that the truth, right? When we pray, aren't we, aren't we submitting ourselves to what God might ask us to do? It's a very real acknowledgement about, about what God is about. He's about transformation. Now, one of the hardest parts um, about serving in ministry has been some of the discouragement I have faced from long-time believers who have planted their feet in the ground and say, I will not move. A few uh, years ago, I was having lunch with a church member, and the church was going through a pastoral transition at the time. And I sat him down, and I asked, you know, what do you think God is doing in the midst of this? What, how do you think God is moving? And he thought for a moment, and he looked at me right in the eye, and he said, Andy, I hope nothing changes. I hope nothing changes. I want everything to be exactly the same. You see, what had happened is he had decided that his experiences with the previous pastor, his experience that he's had in life is the be-all, end-all. This is all there is. This is as good as as it gets, and I don't want to move anymore. I don't want to be changed. I don't want to be transformed, and I don't want to be challenged. You know, but at the same time, some of the greatest examples to me have been faithful believers who are older who still are longing for transformation and seeking the Holy Spirit and willing to change. Some of these believers have been the most encouraging to me in my life. I remember growing up at uh, Glendora Friends Church, and there was this uh, couple uh, there named Lindy and Ruth Killam. Now, Lindy, he uh, he had a rough background. He he used to drink in the bars, and at one point, um, something happened to him which affected his voice. and And I remember him coming every Sunday, and his wife, his name is Ruth, she would come, and she has this infectious laugh. Whenever she enters a room, you know Ruthie is there because of her laugh. Now, the whole time I was there, I I never once ever heard them complain. In fact, when they walked into the sanctuary, there was this sense of joy. There was never a negative word from their mouth. You see, because I think what had happened was that th- he had had a trans- moment with God where God has been working on him and transforming him. And I don't think it ever stopped. 
And I don't think God ever intends to stop working in us. We don't reach a point where we said, that's it, God, I'm done. I've arrived. The plane has landed. I'm getting off and I'm planted. This is where I am. So what does it mean to be people seeking transformation in a culture that is highly individualized, where our experiences are our own realities, and it's all there is? And so maybe being counter to this is what will make us distinctive in 2015. I want us to read verse 18. It says this, When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, what makes them distinct, what they come to the reality of, is that God is doing a new thing. That God is even... And in their mind, this is just mind-blowing, that God is working in the hearts and minds of Gentiles and granting them repentance that leads to life. So how can they object to that? And I think this is what will make us distinctive in the world as the people of God, is people who are seeking God and longing to be transformed and renewed and restored and revived by his Holy Spirit. That there's something beyond our own reality. There's something beyond our own experiences. And to admit that there's something beyond us is to submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it was not individualized. Well, if that's best for Peter, what Peter's doing, I'll agree to disagree. See, I, I hate that phrase in the church. I'll agree to disagree. It was about submitting to the Holy Spirit because of what God is doing see what will make us distinctive as the people of God here and now is that we are all discerning where God is leading and submit corporately as God's people that we will submit together that together we listen to the heart of God That together we're trying to discern where God is moving. And together as a body in community, we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. This is one of the key things, ways how the Friends Church operates. Is that it's built on the premise that we all are seeking the mind of Christ. We are all trying to discern what God is doing, and we are all trying to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So we don't say, well, God's telling that group one thing and this group another. That's not, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. If you have your Bibles, um, turn back in your Bibles all the way to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29. See, at this point, the people of God are in exile. They're not where they want to be. And in fact, in the previous chapter, a prophet comes along and says, hey, you know what? You guys are only going to be in exile for a few years, and then you'll be out of here. Just sit tight. And the prophet Jeremiah comes along and says, no, that's not the case. That's not God's will. That's not God's plan. And in fact, that other prophet dies. 
And in fact, Jeremiah tells them that they are actually going to be in exile for 70 years. And so that means there are some people that will die in exile. They'll never get out of it. There are some people who will be born into exile and will also die in exile. And then there will be others who will leave exile, but they'll be too old to build their own homes and plant their own gardens. But listen to what the prophet Jeremiah, what what God is saying through the prophet to the people in Jeremiah 29 verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. The way they will continue being the people of God in the midst of exile is loving life. Not taking a break, not settling. God wants them to live the life they would be living in Jerusalem while they are in exile. See, I think what happens in life is that we sometimes get to a point where we stop living where we get into this holding pattern and we just keep waiting as if God is eventually going to move us out of our situation or, or like the gates of heaven are going to open up and then there's going to be this clear direction, this clear path for our life where everything is going to be smooth sailing and everything is going to be easy. But in fact, it's God is the one who led them into exile. And in fact, God has a purpose for them. God has a plan for them while they're in exile. And his command to them is not to stop living life, not live the life that you would be living in Jerusalem. Don't take a break. Don't settle. See, God calls them even to seek the peace and the the wholeness of the city. Make it better. So why does God give them this message? See, because their temptation would be to sit and wait it out. Just sit and wait it out and eventually the 70 years will pass. But if you are just sitting and waiting to be somewhere else, you are not relying on God in the present, in the here and now. See, what makes them distinctive in exile is how they live in relationship to God. It's that transformation that God brings. What makes us distinctive as the people of God in 2015 is our relationship to God and the transformation in which we are all invited into. We can't be people sitting on the sidelines waiting for the gates of heaven to open up. We can't be waiting for, for as if there's going to be this miracle sign. Do this, and it's going to be easy, and it's great, and then you'll be in God's will. But in fact, what God is calling us to do is to be faithful to him in the here and now. In this changing world where we know that things are not the way they once were, 
What is it that is going to make us distinctive? See, what's going to make us distinctive is not a ritual. But it's being faithful and relying on the Holy Spirit. Listening and discerning to what God is doing right here, right now.